Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Uh, Facebook Live, seven o'clock. I'm here as ever. Oh, look, hold on a minute. I'll get my thing up. Um, that's me. That's me there, Jonathan Stiano. And I've got my special guest tonight, Mr. Mark Lloyd. Hi, so, yeah. hi, Mark. Thanks for coming. No, thanks a lot for uh, so inviting me. Mark is working here at the clinic and he is an ear guy. And I'm going to let Mark talk a little bit about what he does. Yeah, so I'm an ear reconstruction surgeon, and what I do is correct any form of ear difference. Now that can be ears that are sticking out too much, or correcting ears where the earlobes stick out too much, or the earlobes are too big. It also involves repairing split earlobes, so that can be keeping the hole or not keeping the hole. And then there's a new procedure which we're offering here, which I do is called the ear fold which is a way of correcting prominent ears, but using a clip. And that clip is a really special clip. It's almost like a luxury item. And it's a very small alloy, metal alloy clip, which is placed right under the skin of the, and the front of the ear. And that holds the ear in place. And it's a much kind of easier procedure to perform. And also there's much less downtime than a standard, um, what we call otoplasty procedure and that's why um, it's becoming very popular amongst people who want to have a correction for their prominent ears but not to have that downtime afterwards. Yeah because I think the problem with um, otoplasty which is a normal operation you make a big well sort of relatively big scar around the back it usually fades pretty well to be honest with you but it's quite a big op uh, an otoplasty you have it to is, sort yeah. of re reshape the cartilage yeah. and because you're reshaping the cartilage you have a big dressing on that's right. The, which which the, no one likes. That's really. right. The dressing is the most embarrassing part of the whole yeah. procedure. And it's the bit of the procedure which people, makes you look most medicalized. And we're trying to get away from big bandages, but you can't really help it on a standard otoplasty because the, the dressing comforts the ear, keeps the ear padded and protected. Um, but with the ear fold procedure, there's, you don't have that. It's just really just a very simple steri-strips over the ear where um the clips are placed in so yeah i mean i think there's a couple for me i think there's a couple of things that are good about the ear fold the first thing is you can put the thing on before you have right. the surgery so before we do the surgery what we do is that in a consultation it's very good because we'll sit you in front of the mirror and then what we'll do is that we'll place the clips onto the onto the ear and then you'll see how your ear looks in the mirror and you can walk around, you can see it from different angles. And then we'll take a photograph of that so it, you can memorize the position of the clips. And, and then also when you come back to have the procedure, we redo that trial. And then we make sure that you're happy with that particular position. And then it's, it's great because you've got, you're actually seeing the surgical result before you have it. And the other thing is that you as the patient or as the client drives the consult because the great thing is that you can tell us exactly where you want them and that's the difference between the ear fold and when we do a standard otoplasty that we as surgeons choose for you whereas 
on the earphone, you choose, and that gives you a lot more empowerment in, in getting the result you want. And for us, that's that's a great deal. Yeah, I mean, so I think the the try try before you have the surgery is the big thing. Yeah. The lack of the big dressing is a massive thing because the big dressing is there because when you do a standard otoplast, you're remolding the cartilage, whereas the, the this clip is doing all the work with the fold. The um, you might say, well, what what's the benefit of an otoplasty? So I mean, I think there's still a role for osteoplasty. Right. Not, not every patient will be suitable for ear fold. So ear fold's very good when you just need the fold of the ear, which is this fold here, taken back. But supposing you want what we call the pinoplasty plus, which is when we just not just take the ear back, we may actually correct the earlobe. Um, the other thing I do is sometimes there's a lot of bulk in the bowl of the ear. I reduce that. But also, there's a lot of actually very thick musculature behind the ear, and that causes the ear to still look, you know, prominent, even though you've done all the correction of the fold. So that's another procedure where that muscle can be reduced very neatly, very cleanly, and the ear set back, and that gives a much better aesthetic appearance than what I'd call maybe just an ear fold. So it's ear fold has its place. I think it's very good for patients who have a simple. Um, need for the fold to be there, but also have a very busy lifestyle as well and don't want that downtime. And it, and the advantage of the ear fold, it offers the freedom to have that, you know, much, much better time afterwards. And that's why yeah. it's um, so competitive. Yeah, I think that's the that's the big thing is the lack of downtime, lack of dressings and, yeah, the, right. and the thing that you can you can have a look what's going on before. But the other things, uh, I mean, ears is uh, particularly the moment with the um, tribal piercing or gauging those sort of enlarged earring holes. The problem with that is that uh, once you've done that, you sort of can't go back. You can't, well, with any sort of piercing, you can't just yeah. take take it out and hope that it's going to heal up. It won't heal up. Yeah. Uh, I so think, I think the advantage of the clinic is that um, there's a good breadth of experience here on doing earlobe surgery, but making it very bespoke. Yeah. And one of the things here is that the tribal piercings, we can correct the earlobe, but also aesthetically bring it to a much better shape and then also stop scars from uh, notching by doing little flaps and what we call Z-plasties. These are all little tips and tricks as plastic surgeons we're very used to, to help make scars yeah. much, much better and also keep the shape of the earlobe, which is a very complex shape. Um, to get the shadows of the earlobe, to get the actual lobular quality of it, and also so it's got the fullness as well. Keeping all of that after a tribal uh, tribal um, implant is is quite tricky, but I think that's one of the advantages of having um, you know us do it as opposed to someone else do it. He doesn't deal yeah. with all those kinds of, of techniques and can, can put them all into an earlobe. Most people would just repair it and leave it, but there's lo lots of techniques yeah. that um, we have here. There's a question, one of the questions later on actually is about um, surgery abroad and things. And there's quite a variety of prices you can pay for surgery. And I think uh, you often don't realize it until you've had it done that there's actually a lot to pretty much everything really. I think you might think that things simple like putting breast implants in or repairing an earlobe is simple. You just cut it up and stitch it, uh, cut it out and stitch it up. But it's not, it's not like that. And particularly with an earlobe, if you just cut it and stitch it, as Mark says, it can contract and you get a notch in the lobe and it doesn't look good. And then you all of a sudden realize why some places charge more than other places. And the other advantage um, is one of the things that Jonathan wrote, um, published um, was repairing the earlobe with the hole. Yeah. Uh, that's um, a very 
rare thing. You don't see many clinics offering that. Yeah. And it's a little bit more of a sophisticated procedure, but that's a great technique, Jonathan. Yeah. And so, it's, you know, yeah. it's something that can really offer patients a much more bespoke result. And yeah. that's what that's what that's why you want to come to yeah. um, have that level of care. Yeah, because a lot of people, they have their ear pierced at a certain place, so they want to keep the original hole. And uh, so that's an option that not many people offer. So we got we got a first question mark is for you. Thank you. Okay, great. Cricking it off. Yeah. We got we got oh look we got three highs. We got Olivia, Gemma, and Alison McGar is here. Hi, trouble high. Um, is the ear fold available for see and treat? So see and treat is what we when we see people and and so for minor ops like a mole or a cyst, we can see you and and uh, perform surgery on the on the same day as your consultation. So we've had someone ask, is earfold available for that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I've asked other surgeons who have trained in earfold, because there are not many surgeons who have trained in earfold, what they do. It always could be done as a see and treat. However, I always think it's one of those procedures where once the, it's good to have a, a bit of a cool, cooling down period before you actually do the procedure. And the other thing is to look at the photos at home and really get used to how your ears look because it's quite an emotional experience. And that emotional experience when ears are set back can be great, but also it, you need to get over that initial emotion and really get used to seeing yourself with your ears in that new position. And then after that cooling down period, which can be, you know, as less than a, you know, a couple of days or maybe a week, then the procedure, you're much more sure of yourself that the procedure is for you and also that the position that the clips have been placed in is correct. The other thing is that it's good to come back after a cooling down period and maybe we might move the clip up and down by a couple of millimeters. That could make all the difference to how you feel about the aesthetic result. So it's better to wait and then have that cooling down period. So you could do it as a C and treat, but I don't think I would offer it as a C and treat unless a patient had potentially had their maybe trial it somewhere else and just couldn't get it. Yeah. And then they came and saying, could you do it now? I've, I've, I've trialed it somewhere else, but I just couldn't get in because of the queue. And I would say, okay, yeah. you know, you've had that consult. I can see what you, what you mean and that's fine. But I think it's important to have a little bit of cooling down. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah. I mean, it's quite, it's quite a subjective thing, the shape of your ear. I mean, if it's something like a mole or something, you know, you know, you want your mole removed yeah. so that there's not that much decision making. But I think for something like that, that's why we would do see and treat for certain things. But I think it's it's, it's a bit of a subjective thing and you don't want to feel like you're rushed into making a decision mm -hmm. as to where you have the clip and how much of a correction you have. So it's probably better to have a bit of time yeah. to, to think about it. The other questions are all stuff like um, breast reduction scars and tummy tuck stuff. Okay. So... Thank Mark, you. it might be better if I just crack on Lovely. with that, thanks, if thanks that's all right. Thanks me, it's been brilliant. And, Mark, uh, fantastic, thanks for coming. And great. if there are questions for earphones yeah. and stuff, we can always, uh, we'll always ask them, answer them anyway, as I do anyway for all of these questions directly. But please Mark, ask. And, Mark's here now. Yeah, so. please ask and we'll get back to you. And yeah. I hope you visit the clinic and you have a great experience. I'm sure you will and we'll offer a really great care. And the earphones is a really great addition yeah. to the Yeah, I think the earphones are a big thing. Great. It's a big thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Take it easy. So, um, cracking on now with my uh, other questions. So, first of all, we've got a question here. 
how can I make scars look better? I have terrible scarring after a botched breast reduction in January. Is there anything I can do to make the scars look better? Mark, do you want the water? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, botched breast reduction. That doesn't sound good, does it? Um, so it's, a lot of people say, oh, plastic surgeons, they're really good at getting rid of scars and, um, we, whatever you do, you're going to have scars. And one of the problems with the breast reduction is there are there are quite obvious scars. They go around the nipple, down. There's often scar in the fold as well. And you can't really remove those scars. Now, there are some things we can do to improve scars if there's a problem with them. So I don't really I haven't seen a photo of these scars, so I don't really know what the problem is. But um, if they're a bit stretched or if they're a bit raised and a bit red, then there are possibly things we can do to improve them. I've got to say red and raised scars, they can often get better over time, but there are things we can do like steroid injections and, uh, and things like that and uh, silicone dressings. If the scars are a bit stretched, then you could consider surgery to make them better uh, if they're a bit widened. But it always worries them a bit, bit when you say, oh, I've had a botched breast reduction. So you've already had a problem with a breast reduction and like, do you want more surgery? So I think sometimes, although when you've had a problem with surgery, you think, um, I want to get it fixed. Anytime we do surgery, there are risks. And I don't know what the botched breast reduction was. I don't know what the, what the problems were. But if you have more surgery, there are risks. You could get more problems, infections, wounds opening up. Uh, that's a risk anytime you do surgery. And just because it's gone wrong once doesn't mean it won't go wrong again. Much as we'd like to guarantee you, oh, it'll all be fine this time. No one can guarantee that when they do surgery. So I would say uh, if you've already had surgery and you've had problems with it and it's all now healed and you're not happy with the scars, there's a lot to be said for leaving them to settle. In any way, I think from January to now, I think it's a little bit soon to be thinking about revision unless there's obvious things we can do to make them better. I normally say wait at least a year. Now, six months is minimum. So we're now, what, we're about six months, aren't we, from January? Yeah, we are six months. So, uh, but uh, a year is probably better. So my view is let it settle and maybe think about not having anything done, to be honest with you, um, because it's like, you know, it depends on how bad they are. Um, but but again, you need to talk to a surgeon. and Well, I know a surgeon, but, you know, you need to talk to someone in person and show them your scars and get an opinion. Alison's in. Mine's a vaginoplasty, please. As much info as possible. What to expect? How long hospital? And does it need to be a gynecologist? Uh, thanks. Yes, Alison, it does need to be a gynecologist uh, for that sort of thing. That is not my my area of expertise. So that is something that is not really my thing. So uh, sorry, I think that's probably a gynecologist there you want. Um, not me. Uh, sorry, I can't help. Olivia's back and likes the beard. The beard's been here for ages, hasn't it? Like the beard for ages. Um, Samantha Amelia, is PCOS a problem with tummy tuck surgeries? PCOS, I'm assuming, is polycystic ovary syndrome. It's often PCOD disease, but syndrome is it maybe? Anyway, um, no. I mean, the thing about when you have concurrent illnesses, the main thing is is that concurrent illness affecting you? So are you ill? Are you a normal person that's able to function normally? You know, and that goes with asthma, that goes with diabetes, that goes with PCOS, whatever. If you've got a concurrent illness, are you debilitated by it? 
uh, or not. Uh, I'm assuming that you're not. Um, but if you are, then maybe surgery will be an issue. And the other thing is what treatment you're on. So if you're on things like steroids, then it might be an issue with the healing. Uh, but as a general rule, no, it's it's not a problem and it should be fine but obviously speak to your surgeon and we'd have to look at your medical history and we'd have to talk to the person who's treating your uh, polycystic ovaries and say to them you're thinking of having surgery is that okay um and they would um you know we would liaise with them to check that they're okay with it um but in itself no not at all uh thicker than a few weeks ago maybe uh actually olivia i trimmed it uh, a couple of days ago do keep it in trim but uh yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for my, yeah, sorry, Alison, I feel, I feel, I feel that like I didn't really help much, but, um, calm, just in, nearly missed you, you missed Mark, I don't know, I didn't know whether I should have kept him here or not, because I thought it might be a bit boring for this bit for him, so I let him go, but, um, anyway, it's lovely to have a bit of company here on a Tuesday evening, um, so, here we go, when can I drive after a tummy tuck, <coughs> again, it varies, it varies. Whenever someone says to you, when can we, we, I've got things that I say to people about, you know, I have got an answer to that question, but it does vary and you can't really um, uh, say for sure, but I understand people will need to take time off work and stuff like that. So what I normally say is uh, two to three weeks. Now, if you're um, employed in, in something, if you can take three weeks off, that would be better, uh, particularly if, if you have to drive to work and things. Uh, but I understand a lot of people, uh, you know, obviously it's quite hard to take time off work maybe. So after two weeks, you'll be feeling better and you might be able to drive, but it, you obviously still have to wear a seatbelt and it might be a bit uncomfortable. You have to do emergency stop and what have you. So um, two to three weeks is what I would say. Uh, three weeks would be safe, but if it's a short distance and you need to get back work after two weeks, then you can. Although, as long as you take it easy at work, I think you'll still feel a bit uncomfortable after two weeks, but you might be able to start getting back into stuff after two weeks. But I'm sorry, I can't be too specific, but that's sort of ballpark. Two to three weeks is what I would say for driving. Depends on how you heal and stuff like that. Depends on, depends, depends, depends. But that's about what it is. Samantha. Meaning more with bleeding during surgery. I've been told not to menstruate, not to be menstruating during surgery, but stop pill two months prior. It will create bleeding for me. I've been told not to be menstruating during surgery. Well, okay, but that's okay. I wouldn't have thought that's a problem, um, Samantha, personally. Oh, unless you have heavy periods and you get anemic when you menstruate. I'm not sure if that's a problem, but anyway. But stop pill two months prior. This will create bleeding for me. Okay. Okay. Right. Um, Samantha, the, so there's two things with bleeding. Uh, one is too much bleeding and one is too little bleeding. By too little bleeding, I mean too much clotting. So basically if you have a clotting issue, so if you are, if you do have heavy periods or maybe have a problem with clotting, um, stopping the pill two months prior, um, is is okay because the pill the one of the problems with the pill is the pill can make you more likely to clot so it's more of a problem with the pill because you get dvt so basically on one end of the spectrum you've got clots when you clot too much and you get form a clot in your legs which forms a dvt and flies off into your lungs so that's bad and the other end of the spectrum you've got bleeding which causes bleeding and a hematoma so that's bad too so there's problem with too much bleeding and there's problem with too much clotting out of the two problems, Samantha, I would say, and again, it's my view, 
too much clotting is worse than too much bleeding um, to a degree <laughs> you know to a degree but as a surgeon we can control bleeding but clotting is a bit more difficult because if you have a clot in your legs that can fly off into your lungs that can be a problem so if you're hypercoagulable easy for you to say if you're if you're more likely to clot so like when you're on the pill and things like that um, that is a potential problem for surgery and something we worry about especially with a tummy tuck because you can get dvts and they can fly off into your lungs and cause pe's and can be a very serious problem a bleeding problem is less of a problem i would say within reason now obviously we check your clotting just check you haven't got a clotting disorder i'm assuming you haven't got a clotting disorder um so we check your, your clotting and your, your your blood clotting products um and if you have got a problem there are things we can do to give you to help you to to, to clot but if it's just a you know the the sort of the bad thing that can happen if you bleed too much is you get a hematoma where it all blooms up inside and you have to go back to theater and have it washed out but to be honest with you, I wouldn't want either thing to happen. But out of the two, I'd rather have a hematoma than a DVT. So that's why, you know, I give people Clexane and heparin and things like that to, to, to thin the blood when they're having a tummy tuck, which is increases your risk of hematoma, but it decreases your risk of DVT. And for me, a DVT is worse than a hematoma. So again, Samantha, this is a difficult one to answer without sort of seeing you and having your full history and having what your problem with clotting is. You know, if you've had things like dental extraction and you've, you, you, you know, you haven't had a lot of bleeding and things, you've been able to cope with that okay, then you're probably going to be okay. But if you have had dental extraction and you bleed a lot, then you've got to think, oh, hold on a minute, have you got a clotting problem? But stopping the pill two weeks, uh, sorry, two months prior is just going to make you into a normal bleeding person from a coagulable person. That makes sense. So having the pill makes you more likely to clot. So it's the pill's more of a problem for people clotting rather than stopping them. Pill. I think that should be clear. Uh, anyway, so I for me it's not that much of a problem. Um, Gemma, uh, Samantha. Sorry, I'm looking at Gemma's question. Multitasking shouldn't do that. It's not that. But then it's not. I'm not your surgeon, Samantha. So you better speak to your surgeon, basically. But I wouldn't. I would have hoped it wouldn't be too much of a problem. Have we cleared that up? If you have already had breast uplift and now want implants, can the uplift scars be reopened and closed to improve them? Yes, of course you can, Gemma. Yeah, yeah, of course. <coughs> if you're if you're worried about the um, yeah, if your uplift scars aren't good, if they're thickened and things, you could revise the scars at the time of an uplift. Um, sorry, at the time of the implants, definitely, absolutely. Don't see why not. Totally. Uh, I've had a colpo suspension. Will this stop me having to make Not at all, um, Gem, Gem Donahoe. So um, you, uh, not well, simple answer, not at all. Depends on how they want. They probably want went internally rather than externally, as in have you, you know, have you got a scar on your tummy? You probably haven't got a scar on your tummy. So I'm, uh, uh, even if you did have a scar on your tummy, you'd still be fine because you would just cut that scar out. So yeah, either way, absolutely fine. Not at all, Gem. Absolutely fine with having a tummy tuck. No problems with that. Olivia, so driving lessons the same? Yeah, but you probably want to leave driving lessons a bit longer, I would say, Olivia, because you're, um, you're, um, you know, you can, you know, well, I would anyway, because you're still going to be uncomfortable to drive. So you wouldn't want to put yourself in a position of having a driving lesson, unless you had to and you want to get on with it. Oh, tea's going cold. I thought I'd be sitting waiting for Mark to do his bits. but um... Samantha, thank you so much for your reply. I've never had problems during surgery, 
but before but surgeons receptionists seem concerned oh right well if the receptionist was concerned um samantha you better you better um hey branded mug hmm? merch We've got merch <laughs> hmm? get a mug that we don't sell them we should shouldn't we sell the merch um sorry well, if this, I wouldn't worry, Samantha. If the reception is concerned, I wouldn't worry because they probably don't know your full history, and they um, so I wouldn't be too concerned about that. Olivia, am I sick? No, I'm not sick. Fine. How do you recreate a belly button after two? I'm guessing that's a tummy tuck. Uh, well, it's an art, Olivia. I've written a paper on that as well, as well as the ear thing. I've written a paper on how you recreate a belly button after a tummy tuck. Uh, it's a, it's it's an art, and and uh, there's loads of different ways. It's like split ear, but there's loads of different ways of doing it, which means there's no one good way of doing it. Um, I've got a technique that I do where you have a superior hood. Uh, you have a funny shaped scar so that it's not a circle because circles can contract. Um, I've just done a, we've done a, a, a video where we uh, videoed a, a tummy tuck from start to finish. It should be on the YouTube channel. Um, and I think there's a bit there where I'm doing the belly button, showing how I do the belly button. Uh, check it out. It's probably under surgery. I don't know what it's called. What's it called? Anyway. Actually, no, we haven't published it yet because we're waiting for the patient to come back to us. So we have done a video. So it will be out there soon. So subscribe, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Click the bell and we'll tell you when that video comes out because it's not out yet because we've just checking the patient's okay with it. Um, so yeah but uh you so basically what you do olivia is you use your same belly button so you cut around the belly button the belly button drops down you move the skin over you make a hole in the new skin and then you pop the belly button back up again but you have to recreate a dip the belly button has to sit in a dip and you have to, you have to create a superior hood and things like that but it's actually the skin of the stalk is the same and it's just in a new piece of skin that makes if that makes uh, sense. Olivia, can I have a mug? We don't, we, yeah, we should do that, shouldn't we? I should have product placement. I should have a mug in the background, but we don't. Um, hmm. Cold tea. Yeah, nice. We should um, sell the mugs, but we don't. Um, Samantha, smiley face, right back at you. Uh, coughing. Do you do BBL? No, Cassandra, I don't. Um, we don't. None of us do, Cassandra. You're not supposed to. We've been told off. Uh, well, I never did, to be honest with you. But um, the problem with BBL, for those of you who don't know that is, that's a Brazilian butt lift, is, well, they did injections of fat into the buttocks. And it had a very high mortality. A lot of people died having that. And so um, the uh, BARPS, the Plastic Surgery Association, said we shouldn't be doing it. Um, upset some people because they felt they were doing it safely and, you know, there's safe ways of doing it and not doing it. But anyway, that's what they did. They said we shouldn't be doing it. So BARPS members are told not to do it. And um, so we don't do it because it's uh, it has got a high mortality. Um, because when you inject the fat into the buttocks, there's very big ves blood vessels in the buttocks and you inject it too deep, the fat can go into a blood vessel, can travel around into your lungs and then lodge in your lungs and form a embolus and um uh, you die so it's potentially bad so um yeah so no sorry cassandra olivia's going to subscribe i suggest you do likewise everyone else out there so subscribe to the youtube channel we've got 200 we've got i don't know loads of subscribers 200 and 
probably more than 250, 265 or something. That's my face. I've got decaf Greek coffee. Oof, decaf Greek coffee. Go, go you. You were coughing. I was coughing. I am, I, yes, I am coughing. I don't know what it is. I feel okay though. I feel okay. Um, here we go. Worried about opening. I've developed a bit of an opening of my T-scar and my bra is rubbing and making it worse. I've left it off for 24 hours, but I'm worried about leaving it off any longer. Advice, please. Um, yes, this is not uncommon. So this is a wound breakdown at the T-junction of a breast reduction. Anytime you have a T-junction, oops, there's a risk that the wound doesn't heal up properly. Uh, I think this is a breast reduction, is it? It's a breast reduction or a breast lift. Um, the first question I'd ask is if there are implants there. So if it's a lift with implants, then I'd be more worried than if there wasn't, because if an Im if you get an infection with an implant, if the implant gets infected, you have to remove it. So that's a big deal. That's a big deal. So if there's implants there, I'd be more worried. And I, in this situation, there aren't implants there, which is good news. And um, so it's not uncommon to get a breakdown of that T-junction. Um, and the thing about the bra, what you want, Props. <laughs> right, got props. Is you want a bra with a low band? Because this show is all black. Oh god, low band. Um, so you want so you want the band um, below the where the scar is. So your, your scars are here. And the band is here. Yeah, have to do a bit of work on the props side of things, but um, yeah, low band um, uh, and a breathable. It's, it's, it's one piece. Uh, these are really good bras. Um, and uh, the other thing I would say is because you don't want the bra rubbing on your T junction, because your T junction is going to be up here. So your bands down here, soft band. Um, and uh, you, if you do have a time when you are not, um, when you're at home and things, I think it's fine to, to leave the bra off for a period of time. Um, keep it clean, keep it dressed while it's, if it's wet, if it's oozing, then you just need a light dressing to protect the, your bra because you don't want the fibers of your bra sticking on the on the wound and all that sort of stuff because then you've got more risk of infection. The other thing in this case, it looked a bit red, but it looked a bit red generally. So that might just be a bit inflamed. I was a bit worried about the bra causing some inflammation. So, um, but the main thing is talk to your surgeon, work closely with your surgeon because if it is a bit inflamed, you might need some antibiotics, might need to keep an eye on it because you're only getting worse. So it is something you've got to worry about. And I think the other thing I'd say is don't worry too much about it. It's very common to get a breakdown at that T-junction. It usually heals just fine. It might make the scar a bit thicker than we would like. But what happens is when you first have the surgery, your breasts are like that. You can see the T-junction. You think, oh, no, the scar's not going to be any good. In time, the breasts settle and the T-junction ends up hidden it's up in the fold so you often can't see it so if the t-junction does break down it's usually not as much of a disaster as you might feel it is now so try and be a bit positive and i hope it'll be okay oh look we got we got some we got some things is the uk on stike on bpl everywhere uk don't do it right cassandra good question the thing about the uk cassandra is that there's a lot of people who do this sort of surgery who aren't plastic surgeons, who aren't members of BARPS and BAPRAS. So the Professional Plastic Surgery Association, um, BAPS, B-A-A-P-S, has advised its members not to do it. 
Now, they can't force us not to do it, but we would be in trouble with BARPs if we did it, particularly if there was a problem or a complaint or perish the thought of death or as someone became, you know, got, got a problem from it. And then, you know, if BARPs discovered we were doing it, we would be in trouble and probably, um, you know, not allowed in BARPs. Um, so I think most BARPs of plastic surgeons will not be doing it. The problem in the UK, a lot of plastic surgery is performed by people who aren't BARPs, plastic surgeons, who aren't members of a plastic surgery association, who aren't even plastic surgeons, to be quite frank. Um, and if you're not a plastic surgeon, if you, you're not bound by a plastic surgery organization, I guess you can do what you want. There's no law about it. There's no law saying you can't do it. It's just the Plastic Surgery Association that said we shouldn't be doing it. And so it's really just affecting the members of the Plastic Surgery Associations. And one of the issues is that a lot of surgery is done by people who aren't members of, of uh, these associations. And so they can do whatever they want. But then if you have a problem and you complain, you can't complain to the Plastic Surgery Association because they'll be like, well, they're not one of our members. Um, but yeah, so it's it, it, you will probably find people in the UK who'll do it. But I would be careful personally, uh, Cassandra, and I would probably steer clear of it because if you look at the evidence and you look at the figures, it's got a significantly higher mortality. I mean, this is mortality, which we're about people dying. You know, that's not something that happens in cosmetic surgery. It's just way off the scale compared to other procedures. So it's just be careful anyway, is what I would say. I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who are doing it safely. Um, but, you know, so I, I don't want to over egg it, but that's where we are at the moment with it. But that's a good question, Cassandra. Thank you. Thank you for that. Dawn. I had an extended arm lift on Thursday, seeing my PS on Thursday, but I'm concerned as my left hand keeps swelling up. I've just taken the compression sleeves off and it's going down already. Being told to keep my sleeves on. Do you think I'm okay to take them off for nighttime? Oh, Dawn, you're asking me. Oh, can't you ask your plastic surgeon? Can't you give him an email or give him a ring? I'm sure they'll answer you, even if you're seeing them on Thursday. Give him a ring tomorrow, Dawn. Um, you know what, it's fine by me. I don't use compression on, uh, on an arm reduction. It's hard to get compression. If you do compression on the arm, you really want to go all the way down to the wrist because, as you say, if you, wherever you stop, you get compression distal to it. So you'll get the arm and dig into the armpit. So it's hard to get compression on the arm, in my view. So I don't use compression on after an arm lift. Um, but, you know, your surgeon obviously does. So uh, I can't really um, – I don't really want to say, yeah, it's fine, take your sleeves off, and then it all goes wrong, and then your surgeon comes after me and says, you told my patient to take her sleeves off. So I don't want to get involved, Dawn, to be quite frank. If it's that fresh, talk to your surgeon or talk to the nurse or um, get advice from them. Um, and it's hard for me to advise because I don't use a compression garment for an arm lift. Um, so, yep, that's where I am. Olivia, Arnica tablets after surgery, double question mark. And Arnica gel on wounds, single question mark. I've got some antibiotic ointment in Greece. I've Arnica too for my bags last year. Go you. Olivia's got the lot. She's got the tablets. She's got the gel. She's got the lot. She's got antibiotic ointment. Listen, anyone needs anything, go go to Olivia. She's got it all. Um, well done, Olivia. You, um, yeah. So I I don't, so... I think you're probably saying, is this is this a good thing? The arnica, I'm guessing. So, is um, I don't recommend people use arnica personally. 
but I don't think there's anything bad about it. I think it's a good thing, and people say it's good for bruising. For me, for most surgery, there's not a huge amount of bruising. Maybe if you're having liposuction, there is. So maybe I should tell them to use Arnica, but I don't. Um, but uh, Arnica is supposed to be good for bruising, and I think there's no harm in using it. Um, and you've got uh, antibiotic ointment. We use antibiotic ointment uh, like for the breakdown at the T-junction, antibiotic ointment might be good for that. We usually use antibiotic ointment to moisturize wounds, more for the moisturizing aspect of it than the antibiotic aspect of it. But if you've got a wound on your face, um, we tend not to put dressings on it, just give you a bit of antibiotic ointments to put on two or three times a day. So that's what we where you, we use the antibiotic ointment. But um, I wouldn't go too much. Uh, yeah, and sorry, I've got Arnica too from eye bags last year. Yeah, when you do eye bags, there's a very thin skin in the in the lower eyelid, so you tend to get it tracking and you get a lot of bruising and black eyes, basically. So it's not uncommon to get that. So, yeah, Arnica would be good for that. And I think Arnica is good, Olivia, um, and good for, for healing. Gemma, how can you tell if someone's a trained plastic surgeon? What do the letters after surgeons' names mean? Look at that. That's what we need, that sort of question. And I need, where's my book? They've taken my book. I've written a book on that, Gemma. I've written the book on this, Gemma, which I haven't got. I haven't got a copy of. <laughs> right. Well, I have. Trust me. Trust me, I have. I've written a book on this. So um, let's get the um, So. There, there, right. So what you need is, you see FRCS ING, E-N-G, same focus. That just means you've got the Royal College of, you're a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons. What you need is the last one is the most important one, FRCS PLAST. Can you see that, FRCS PLAST in brackets? It's a bit, it's a bit blurred. Anyway, FRCS PLAST in brackets. So basically, a lot of people will say, oh, I'm, a, I'm FRCS, I'm fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons. That is, so, can you see my certificates up there? Can you see them? No, you can't see them. Um, anyway, okay, all right, that doesn't work. Okay, doesn't work. All right, anyway, bottom line is um, FRCS, FRCS, Fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons, is quite a basic qualification, and it means, or MRCS as it is nowadays, it used to be FRCS, now it's MRCS, but anyway, um, it's a member of the Royal College of Surgeons, it just means you're, you, you've got some basic surgical training, you can, <coughs> excuse me, you can do stuff like an appendicectomy, um, you know, and, and basic uh, 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 emergency surgery and things, and then you do six years of specialist training in a specialty. Now, if you want to be a consultant in the NHS, you have to do that to finish specialty training, and you get on the special specialist register with the GMC in a specialty, and then you get FRCS, and then in brackets, your specialty. So if you're a plastic surgeon, you have FRCS PLAST in brackets afterwards. If you're a general surgeon, FRCS GEN, G-E-N, orthopedic surgeon, ORTH, O-R-T-H. So you'll have the bra in brackets afterwards um, uh, what specialty you are. ENT is O-R-L, otorhinolaryngology. Um, so, you know, whatever your specialty is will be in brackets after your FRCS. So that's the simplest way to find out if someone's a fully trained plastic surgery, uh, plastic surgeon, they'll have FRCS PLAST after their names. If they've just got FRCS or FRCS ING, E-N-G, uh, which is England, that just that doesn't mean they're a plastic surgeon. That just means they've got a basic surgical qualification. The other thing you can do, Gemma, is you can look for an NHS consultant. If you're an NHS consultant in plastic surgery, you will have 
finished your training. You can't be, you can't get an NHS consultant job without being fully trained. The bizarre thing is you can work in the private sector without any specialty training. So there's loads of people out there who haven't finished their training, um, haven't got specialty training in anything. They've just got to the level of the appendicectomy and the basic surgical, um, uh, basic surgery training. And then they go off and do goodness knows what to people. Um, and there's nothing stopping them. But uh, that's the world we're in. They can't work in the big private hostels like Spire, uh, BMI, and, and things like that. So if you go to one of the major private hostel groups like Spire, Nuffield, BMI, they you have to be a fully trained surgeon there. But if it's a uh, if it's not one of those big hostels, then you you know they might be able to work. And if they're in these sort of independent clinics and stuff, so that that is the problem with the the the, the, the uh, nature of plastic surgery in the UK at the moment. There's a lot of people who aren't fully trained plastic surgeons doing it. So what do the letters name after the surgeon's names mean? Well, uh, I got BSc, that's a Bachelor of Science. That's a degree I did uh, in pharmacology uh, during my medical training. MBBS means you're a, you're a doctor. Uh, MSc is a Master of Science is another de degree I did afterwards. Um, and then the big ones are the FRCS Ing, which is the basic one, and FRCS Plast, which is the specialty one. So it is a bit um, daunting, isn't it, all those letters? But basically, FRCS Plast is what you're looking for. If they've got FRCS Plast, you're okay. If they're an NHS consultant plastic surgeon, you're okay. But the other thing you can do is actually look at the GMC register. So you go to GMC, I think it's gmc dash uk.org and you can say check a, a registration we're all encouraged to give our a gmc the gmc numbers out mine's 4117214 if you want to know if you've got a funny name like me styano you can just search on the surname uh and you can just see if they're on the specialist register and say they're on the specialist register which means they're a specialist in whatever um general as i say general surgery plastic surgery whatever or they might be on the gp register which means they're a gp or they might not be on the specialist register or the GP register, which means they're not fully trained. They haven't finished their training um, in any specialty. So that's the ones I sort of question. Good question, Gemma. I could talk all night about that. I could write the book on it. I have written a book on it, right? Never accept a lift from strangers. www.neveraccepteliftfromstrangers.com. Right, right, Dawn. Dawn's back in the house. Haha, ha, I did. He said it should go down. I'll text him. Good point, though, as it only goes halfway down my lower arm. Oh, there you go. There you go, Dawn. Yeah, that's the problem with the bar. If you're going to properly do compression, you've got to do it all the way to the hand. Same on the leg. You've got to go all the way down to the ankle. Because where you stop, it gets you get swelling past that. So that's why I don't use it. But anyway, um, obviously some people do. Thank you. Thank you, Dawn. Thank you for answering the question. And I'm sorry. I had to be a bit on the fence. Olivia, I'm keeping the lot. You're keeping all the arnica and stuff. Good on you. Good on you. You never know. Can you fix cobra necks and pixie ears? Janet, where were you when Mark was here? Asking an ear question uh, when we're to me. God, dear, oh, dear. So, yes. Well, co cobra neck? Janet, cobra neck. That's, um, you know, we need curum. I tried to get curum on, but, you know fancy it um we didn't it's not he didn't fancy it he couldn't make it work so i think he, he works on a tuesday night um i don't know what a cobra neck is janet to be honest with you be honest with you it might be overreactive of the platysma which is a muscle there uh which can be um addressed 
Uh, pixie ears are very difficult. Well, I don't know what you mean by pixie ears, but if you mean uh, a point at the top of the ear, they're often called a stahl's ear, S-T-A-H-L, a very difficult problem to correct. Um, if that's a deformity at the top of the ear, or if you just mean a prominent ear, which is also a difficult problem to correct, but slightly easier than a Stahl's ear. But yes, ear deformities, Mark Lloyd is your man. He's an ear specialist. He works here in the clinic, and you can come and see him if you want, because um, that's those are different difficult things to fix. Gemma says, thank you. No, thank you. Gemma, um, that was a good question, Gemma. I enjoyed that one very much, to be honest with you close to my heart that that is um right what we got going on i'll tell you what we got going on we got this going on i had a breast enlargement last november and spent most of december braless for parties etc the breasts have dropped drooped a lot and i'm unhappy could this be a problem from the surgery or the lack of bra during recovery would you recommend an uplift oh it's a difficult one um Again, I haven't got haven't got photos, so I don't really know what the droop is. But it's all about patient expectation, really, about the droop and the drop. I don't think not wearing a bra will have caused the, to droop. Um, people do say that that you wear a bra at night and bra all the time and it doesn't droop. I don't think that is necessarily true. Um, so I don't think that's the case. But what happens in any way, whether or not you wear a bra, is the breasts settle, and they do tend to settle to what I would say is a more natural shape. You know, they get less full up the top. So when you first have it done, they're quite full up the top and then they settle. And this is all about patient expectation and being aware of what's possible with implants. Um, so it may be that the breasts have just settled rather than you being braless. I wouldn't necessarily blame yourself. Um, using the word drooped is a bit, bit inflammatory. I normally say they settle. Drooping means, you know, and drooping is the breasts that are settling well, the implants settle as well, but the droop comes from the breasts. And the breasts, if you're having if you're having implants, it sort of suggests you haven't got very big breasts. Not, you know, you might you might have big breasts and just want them even bigger. But the bigger your breasts, the more they droop. So if you have got big breasts, then they then they are potentially more likely to droop. But um, if if it's just if you haven't got very big breasts and it's the, it's the implant settling, then that's just what the implants do. And if you want to be fuller then probably again i can't be clear without seeing you but probably a higher profile implant would maybe be the way to go rather than an uplift unless your breasts were droopy before you started and you sort of a borderline for an uplift before you started it depends it depends on the position of your nipple that's what you really need to look at the position of your nipple as to whether you need an uplift or not but um you know the other thing i'm thinking of is maybe a higher profile implant an implant with more projection more sticky out <coughs> Demonstrate it, not really. Does that demonstrate it? Is that demonstrate? Mm, no, it doesn't demonstrate it, does it? Um, you see that? That one's more sticky out than this one. Get the angle right. Always oh, hard. Anyway, anyway, an implant that sticks out more might be an answer rather than uplift. The uplift might be it might be required, but then they should have spoken to you. You said you were sort of borderline. Um, if you if you were borderline for a lift beforehand, what's going on? Janet lobes lobes. That's a fix a cobra neck and pixie ears lobes. Yeah, we can fix lobes, Janet. We can do all sorts to lobes, make them smaller, whatever. 
Michelle's in the house. Good to see you, Michelle. First Sir Jonathan, City Hospital. That's right. I, that was going back a bit, Michelle. Blasting the boss. Um, then ended up going privately with him. Best decision ever. Oh, five years ago, I've worked with bariatric patients since, and if asked by patients where to go, I only had one answer. Jonathan Steiner, you are the best. That's it, Michelle. That's uh, Thank you, Michelle. That's very, very kind of you. I'm uh, touched. I remember you well, Michelle. You had big op and uh you were very very good patient and it's very kind that you say that and if you have any problems you know you can come and see me yourself because uh, i haven't seen you in a while um but i remember you very fondly michelle and that's very kind that you putting that in there thank you just leave it out there for a bit yeah okay everyone's seen that good right um thank you michelle olivia's friend rang okay good i'm all for comments that's good olivia good are you still live did it pause you? What? Yeah, I'm still live. Yeah, of course, you can't pause it. You can't pause live TV. Well, you can actually. Dawn, another great patient. Look at that. They're all out today. Hi, Dawn. Good to see you. Um, right. Would you recommend hibis scrub after surgery to keep the wound clean? No, I wouldn't. Now, I don't not recommend it. Um, this is obviously someone who has been recommended hibis scrub, isn't it? Hibis scrub is good. Hibis scrub is stuff we use in theatre to, 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 to wash our hands and to sterilise things. It's a it's an antiseptic, so it is good. Um, so it's a bit like the Arnica. It's fine. I mean, I don't recommend Arnica. I don't recommend Hibis scrub. It's not that I don't recommend it. Well, it's not that I don't... Uh, oh, what's, the, what's the opposite of recommending something? It's not that I sort of... I'm negative about it. It's fine. Hibis scrub is good. It's good things to keep clean. Um, but it's not, I mean, I guess you'd have to get it from the hospital. I don't know if you can buy it. Can you buy hip scrub? I don't know if you can buy it. I guess you'd have to get it from the hospital. I'm not sure. Um, but personally, I don't tell people to use hip scrub. I just tell them to keep things clean and it's fine to shower and wash with normal water. When you're in theatre, when you have surgery, everything's sterile. You wash with hip scrub, you prepare with chlorhexidine, you use antiseptic on the on the wound and you make everything as sterile as possible and you do the surgery in a sterile way. Once you've had surgery, when you're out on the ward and you've got dressing on and stuff, sterile is not nothing sterile anymore, to be honest with you, pretty much. Once you've got a wound and you have your dressing off and if you've got a wound breakdown or something like that, it's very hard for to get to regain sterile conditions like you have in theatre. So it's clean then, as opposed to sterile. And clean is fine. You don't use, need to use sterile water. You can wash in the shower. Having a running water is fine. You don't need to be sterile. You, you, you can't really be sterile once you've sort of left the theatre. Just washing normally is fine. You know, if you have got a wound, maybe keeping dressings, the dressings clean. So if the dressings are getting soaked or whatever, making sure you're changing the dressings and things like that. But clean is fine. And I personally don't uh, tell people to use hibis scrub. But hibis scrub is a good thing and it's a it's a good uh, antiseptic. So if you've been told that, then that's absolutely fine. But it's not something that I tell people personally. Um, Khan, you buy it online. Do you? Oh, there you go. You can buy, I'm assuming that's hibis scrub. You can buy hibis scrub online. There you go. So you can buy it online. And if you choose to do that, that's absolutely fine. I'm sure that'll be a good thing to clean yourself with. Um, Olivia, I was just wondering how you pronounce your surname. Stiano. Stiano is how I pronounce my surname, Olivia. 
Nicola Stora Richards, I would like a breast reduction. I'm currently looking into where to have to go to have this done. Is there a maximum number of sizes you can reduce by as part of a reduction? Is reshaping and uplifting included as part of the process? That is a good Nicola straight in with a great question. Nicola, well done you. Um, so, so I'll answer the second question first. Yes. A reshaping and uplifting is part of the process. A lot of people say, oh, I'd like a breast reduction and an uplift. And they say, oh, breast reduction is this, uplift is this, add them two together. No, 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 no. An uplift is part of a breast reduction. An uplift and a breast reduction are pretty much the same operation, but a breast reduction is making the breast smaller, whereas an uplift is just lifting it without making it smaller. The pattern of the scarring is similar with the two of them. So yes, an uplift is, is a given. When you have a reduction, you have an uplift. Number one, is there a maximum number of sizes you can reduce by? Yes. Now, the thing I normally say about sizes is really hard to be specific on sizes. Sizes is not a precise science. I do a lot of breast surgery, and it is. I always say to patients, I cannot guarantee your cup size. Whether you, even if you're putting implants in and you know the implant is 250 cc's or you know the volume of the implant, you cannot guarantee what cup size people are going to be because it depends on the back size. The, the, it's a difference between the back size and the, and the bust. So a C cup in one person will be different to a C cup in another person if they've got different sized backs. Plus one make, some people say I'm a C when I go to M&S and I'm a D if I go to, I don't know, Primark or something, some other shop. Um, so it is not a precise science cup sizes. So I wouldn't, I'm not gonna give you a number of cup sizes that you can go down, but broadly speaking, the bigger you are before, the bigger you are afterwards. Because when you do a breast reduction, you have to keep a, 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 a stalk of tissue, we call it a pedicle, going to the nipple. You have to keep the blood supply and the nerve supply to the nipple. And that carries with it a certain volume. And if you're very big beforehand, that stalk is going to be very long. If your breasts are very low, that stalk is going to be very long. And that is going to carry with it a certain volume. So if you say, look, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a JJ cup and I want to be a B cup, that's just not going to happen because that stalk is gonna carry with it a certain volume. So there is a limit as to how much you can reduce. Personally, I don't go on cup sizes and I'll say to people, look, what cup size do you wanna be? And you can say, I wanna be this cup size or whatever. And I'll say to you, look, whatever you say, I can't guarantee it. I try and reduce the breast, I'll definitely reduce the breast, definitely lift the breast. Those two things are given when you have a breast reduction, that's guaranteed, but the cup size isn't given. It's, it's I try and reduce it. I try and keep it in, in proportion with your frame, narrow the breast, Try and make it into uh, a, like a pyramid shape. So the, the nipples on the apex of, of the breast and in the right position, because it's often sitting too low when you need a breast reduction. Just try and keep it in proportion with your frame and keep enough blood supply and nerve supply going to the nipple. That's the goal of a, of a breast reduction. I don't really aim for a certain cup size. Um, and that's something we'd have to have a discussion with, but it's a very good question, Nicola. And thank you very much for that. And good luck looking where to go. Look for a plastic surgeon, look someone who is or has been an NHS consultant. Um, that's what you're looking for. Uh, read the previous question. Trisha Willoughby. Hi, I'm thinking of having TT. Can you tell me why there is so much swelling and why it lasts so long post-surgery? Thanks. Yeah, yes, Trisha, I can. It's a big op, a TT. And I'll tell you now, I've done a video of a tummy tuck. Start to finish, we've got a video. Start to finish, whole lot. It's sort of like speed it up. Um, so you can see what's involved with the tummy tuck. If you go to my YouTube channel, Stiano Clinic, I think the Stiano Clinic, is it? Um, if, you, if you go to my YouTube channel, you'll be able to see it there. Well, you won't see it there um, because it's not up yet. We, it'll be up soon. 
hopefully this week it'll be up um but basically yeah a a, a um a get my agendas up a tummy tuck is a big operation there's a lot of undermining uh, so you have to sort of undermine all the way up to the rib cage and um there's a lot of swelling involved because it's a it's a traumatic procedure to your body and so yeah there is a lot of swelling and it takes a good few months months for things to settle um so i normally say to people it starts to settle around three months and it can take 6 12 18 months for it to really properly settle so if you saw a, a tummy tuck trisha i think you realize it is a big op dawn nicola jonathan's a brilliant surgeon i had a breast reduction with him i was very big and very pleased with my results thank you dawn look at this I've got everyone's coming out thank you yes i knew if i did this long enough i'd get some happy patients coming out and supporting me thank you thank you dawn that's excellent joining michelle dawn and michelle good to see you here tonight um nicola thank you dawn yes thank you jonathan right thank you all um right where are we up to Oh, he'd be we've done that one. Right, what have we got here? How many years will a breast lift last before drooping again, with and without implants? Right, well, the implants don't really droop. They do settle, like the last patient who said things have drooped. It might be the implants settling. So after 6, 12 months, the implants sort of settle, and then the implants don't really move. It's the breasts that, that droop, and breasts will droop. And if you have a breast lift, they will droop again, or if you have a breast with implant, lift with implants, your breast will droop again. Your body is not protected from gravity. So uh, it's really hard to say how long, because it depends on how big your breasts are. So if you got big breasts, the more they will droop, the more they'll be acted on by gravity. Um, so the bigger the breasts, the sort of worse, I guess, the problem is. The other thing that you can do to accelerate the problem is by uh, putting on and losing weight or having children. Those two things really accelerate the droop because both those things stretch the skin. Putting on weight stretches the skin and then you lose the weight, but the skin stays stretched. Same when you have children, you get engorged with the milk, the breast stretch, then the milk goes and they, they they go back to to smaller and that skin has been stretched. That's what causes the droop. So those accelerate the droop, but in the absence of those, we're all acted on by gravity. And so the bigger your breast, the more they'll droop. The thing I would say is that if you do have a breast lift with or without implants, you're resetting yourself back to a better place. So your breasts will still droop. Same with a facelift. Your breasts will still droop, but they're set back to a sort of more youthful, if you like, position. And then they'll act it on by gravity from there. Whereas if you hadn't had it done, they'd have drooped from where they are. If that makes sense. So you're sort of resetting yourself back to a better place. But yes, they will still droop. I don't know. I don't want to say about how many years a breast lift lasts. I don't know. As I say, it depends on how big you are. If you're not big, um, if you haven't got much breast tissue, then it's less time than if you have got more breast tissue. Um, do you have a ballpark figure got reduction, Jonathan? Do you have a ballpark figure got reduction of four four reduction? Do you mean price or do you mean drops of <laughs> sizes? Um, Dawn will probably know. Um, it's uh, Nicola. We can give you a quote. We'll if you give us your email, we'll give you a quote. I don't. I don't have it off the top of my head. But it's not. It's, it's going to be a big op, Nicola, and it's it's quite a lot of money. I think breast reduction. It's quite expensive. 
but uh, if you give us a drop us an email or, or give us your email address you can do it in the direct messages or uh, give us a ring oh one two one two four five four three six eight oh and we'll tell you um but i don't have a ballpark i think it's quite a few thousand pounds um trisha thank you for your reply thank you for your question you were talking about the same topic you see olivia what Oh, I see. Are you still live? Did it pause you? Okay, right. Okay, I'm trying to, trying to piece it together, trying to work it all out. Right, keeping it together. I'm keeping control of the chat. I am keeping control of it tonight. I'm on it. Samantha, when having a muscle repair, do you use dissolvable sutures? Good question, Samantha. First thing I'd say to you, Samantha, is do you care? Don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, you you shouldn't. That's quite a technical question, which I wouldn't worry about too much, to be honest with you. Um, and it doesn't matter. Uh, you can use, uh, I, I often use a, a non-dissolvable suture, a nylon, which is not dissolvable sutures, but it's perfectly reasonable to use a dissolvable suture. But if we do use a dissolvable suture, you use uh, a heavy dissolvable suture, which takes a long time to dissolve. If you want to get technical, it's usually a PDS. So there's different types of dissolvable suture. Like you've got a vicorapide, which you might use in the face, which will dissolve in a few days. A PDS takes months to dissolve, and it's a big, heavy suture. So you either use a long-lasting dissolvable suture that takes many months to dissolve, or you use a permanent suture. Pros and cons of both. Obviously, the pros of a permanent suture is that it's permanent for a muscle repair because you want it to be, obviously, very long-lasting. The cons are that the knot can be quite big, so you have to do things to bury the knot. Again, another one of those little, there's loads of little things, you know, uh, slightly the same remark there's loads of little things when you're a plastic surgeon that you do that maybe patients don't know but if you don't do it then you think oh why have i got this problem like well they haven't done this so like for instance there's little tricks and things to bury that dissolvable suture oh sorry that uh the knot of that permanent suture because it can be a big knot and if you really went for it you might be able to feel it down sort of above your pubic area so we have to make sure and if you can feel it because it's permanent you'll always be able to feel it so that's a that's a potential risk of using a non-dissolvable suture. So, um, but yeah, I, I often use a non-dissolvable suture for the muscle repair because you want it to stay together for a long time. But it's perfectly reasonable to use either dissolvable or non-dissolvable as long as you use the right type, which I'm sure any surgeon would. So a nylon is the uh, non-dissolvable one, and usually it's a PDS for a, uh, a dissolvable one, which takes a long time to, to dissolve. <clears throat> Do you have a rough ballpark figure for a reduction, please? We'll contact you to arrange. Yeah, contact us, Nicola, and we'll give us give you um, some ideas. I don't have a rough ballpark figure. Well, ballpark between five and ten thousand pounds. I think it's less than ten thousand, but it's more than five thousand. I don't know exactly. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> how does the muscle stay together? So basically, what happens with uh, obviously, if you're using a non-dissolvable suture the suture holds it together but if you're using a dissolvable suture because it takes a few months to dissolve in that time it scars so it'll scar together so you hold it together and it'll scar so you, even though the suture dissolves after a few months um, it will scar and help be held together so that's how it holds together kerry brooking kerry brookin kerry kerry Hi, I'm 32 and i'm considering a tt tummy tuck uh, breast augmentation after two very close pregnancies changing and yo-yo weight loss giving me excess skin that i dislike i suffer with lymphedema localized lower left leg 
with this be an issue with these procedures? I'm concerned about swelling and how my body may deal with it. Yes. Um, in itself, no, it would be fine because um, if it's localized to your lower left leg, that's okay. As long as you haven't got a problem with your lymphatics and I'd be a little bit worried about, it depends on how bad your lymphedema is, Kerry, because one of the risks I said earlier is, is uh, DVT. So you need to wear um, uh, compression garments. Now you might, not compression garments, uh, what are they called? TED stockings. Now you might wear a compression garment anyway if you've got lymphedema, uh, but clots in your legs are a risk. It depends on how bad your lymphedema is. In itself, lymphedema of your leg is going to be fine for having a tummy tuck. So in itself, but it might, the only things I'll be thinking about is sort of obliquely things like DVT and we'd put uh, uh, TED stockings on your legs. Would we be able to use TED stockings or not, depending on how bad your lymphedema is? We'd want to use um, things called Flotron boots, which go around your calves, which continuously um, uh, compress your calves to keep the blood circulating. And we try and get you up and about as soon as possible um, because we want to keep the blood circulating to prevent DVTs and PEs, which is a potential risk for a tummy tuck. And if you're combining it with a breast augmentation, if you're doing it both together, that's quite a big operation there. So, you know, it would be, that's something I would be thinking of, but I don't think directly the lymphedema would affect it. It was just more like the um, DVT risk and what have you that I'd be concerned about. So something to talk to your surgeon about, and maybe if you've got a doctor who's looking after your lymphedema, you could talk to them about. Uh, but in itself, a tummy tuck and a breast augmentation is a reasonable combination, particularly if you have problems with your weight uh, and had two pregnancies. The other thing is if you had Leoda, you know, weight loss, you need to get your weight stable. You probably know that already. You need to get your weight stable, really, um, before you have surgery. Dawn was a few thousand, but worth it. Go see him, Nicola. Yeah, right on, Dawn, right on. I'm with Dawn, what she said. Yeah, that's the answer right there, right? Uh, who, the price is forgotten long after the quality's remembered. Natalie, back fat around the bra area, will it reduce with the breast reduction or what can you do to reduce it, please? Great question. We've got some great questions tonight, guys. Kicking off tonight. No, Natalie, it won't. Um, so when you do a breast reduction, you really go where the breasts are. And because it's a bit like a tummy tuck, you can remove the fat from where the scars are, if that makes sense. So the scars end at the side of the breast. Yeah. So you can't really get laterally. You can't really get to the side and that bit that people don't like, that sort of fat around the bra area. A bit like a tummy tuck, you can't really get to the sides. But you can if you combine it with liposuction. So you can combine a breast reduction with liposuction to get rid of these bits at the side. It does increase the price quite a bit. Um, but that is something you could do if you were worried about that fat. Um, you could combine it with a liposuction. But that fat is often responds to weight loss. So that's the other thing I'd say. It does respond to weight loss. So it is, you know, again, if you're, you should really try and get your weight stable before you have surgery and that fat might reduce if you were to lose weight. But if you were specific, it's good to be specific about it before surgery because you don't want to hear this after surgery. So you've got to be clear what you can do with the breast reduction. You can't get that back fat when you're doing a breast reduction unless you combine it with liposuction. Trisha. Ops. Sorry, Jonathan. I had a stent fitted last year and suffered with high blood pressure. Could this cause added problems with surgery? The stent, um, it depends on where, where, where in the stent was it. Um, is it in a blood vessel, your stent? 
Is it in your heart? Um, gallbladder? Uh, in itself, no, a stent's not a problem. The only thing is, uh, do they do they give you anticoagulants for a stent? I don't think they do these days, do they? But if if you're on something like a warfarin or a pixaban or one of those blood thinning problem uh, uh, tablets, that could be an issue. I was saying earlier about bleeding. If you're on a tablet that makes you less likely to clot, because when you've got a stent in, they often give you uh, anticoagulants, then we'd probably have to stop that or at least liaise with your doctor who gave you the stent to talk about how we manage that. But we can manage it. We usually stop it, maybe convert you to heparin or what have you, and then start it afterwards. So it does make it a little bit more complicated if it is a stent in a blood vessel and if you are on tablets to thin your blood. If you're not, then that's fine. Um, Corinne Edwards, I'm taking biologic drugs for psoriatic arthritis. I've been told I can come off the drug for a month before and after any surgery, but would this be a problem for some surgeons because it lowered the immune system? Yes, Corinne. It would. Now, and again, we'd have to work with your uh, um, rheumatologist who's looking after your psoriatic arthritis. And it sounds like you've already spoken to them because they're saying you can come off the drugs before and after. Uh, and that's why you're coming off the drugs, because the drugs, as you said, they make you immunosuppressed because the reason you've got psoriatic arthritis is your body is sort of attacking itself, if you like. And so the anti-inflammatory drugs will um, dampen down that immune response. But when you have surgery, you want an immune response to heal. Um, and so it would it would um, potentially reduce your risk of wound healing. Again, we'd liaise with your rheumatologist. And it may be that you've got an increased risk of wound healing problems. And so the two things I would say is, first of all, we have to maximize your condition. Is your psoriatic arthritis having a flare up at the moment or is it stable? You know, you really want to do it when it's stable, when it's at its best. You know, is there anything we can do to maximize your treatment of your psoriatic arthritis and minimize your medication? And it sounds like you've spoken to your doctor already about that with taking this, the, the, the drugs off for a month before and after. And then the second thing we'd probably say to you is, again, with liaising with your, your rheumatologist, if you have got a higher risk of wound healing problems, we'd have to say to you, look, uh, what is the surgeon? Is it a tummy tuck? Uh, I've got a feeling it's a tummy tuck, is it? So if you're having a tummy tuck, um, have you said? Maybe you haven't said. But um, anyway, if it is a tummy, well, it doesn't really matter. Whatever the surgery is, you might have a higher risk of wound healing problems. And if, once you've got your best, you know, your your treatment is treated as best as we can, well, you'd have to either accept a higher risk of wound healing problems or say, look, you know what, I don't want to have that well, then don't have the surgery. So it's sort of like that. Don't have the surgery if you've got a high risk. As long as your rheumatologist, your rheumatologist might say, forget it, don't don't have surgery because you've got such a high risk of wound healing. But usually with problems like psoriatic arthritis or other medical problems, as long as you're relatively fitting yourself, we can get it in a controlled state that you might still have a higher risk of complications, but we'll end up saying to you, look, you've got a higher risk of complications We've done everything we can to minimize it, but it's still higher than other people. Are you happy to still go ahead with the surgery? And then you can decide whether you think that's a, a viable thing or not. But in itself, it should be fine. But as long as you've worked with your rheumatologist. <clears throat> Natalie, thank you. Thank you. Trisha, here, heart. Right, so you, heart. So the other thing is, have you are you on anticoagulants? Have you got a stent in your heart? Corin, it was a VA. Oh, BA is less of a worry, Corin. Although 
more of a worry because if you get infection with a breast augmentation, you um, have to remove the implant. So that is a big problem if you get infection. But the incision is quite small, so the healing is usually pretty good. To be honest, I'd be more worried if it's something like a lift or a tummy tuck because the healing for a breast augmentation is usually pretty good. Um, so, right. <coughs> right, we've got some photos here. Can I ask a question for next week's Ask JJ, please? If I send you photos, can you please give me your opinion on whether you would recommend a tummy tuck or FDL, please? Feel free to share on Facebook Live. So here we go. Here's, here's a photo. Oh, God, we've got them both on. Look at that. That's awesome. Wow. Wow. Look at that. How cool is that? How do I make me? I want to be smaller than the others. Anyway. Right. Well, let's just bring that one down so we have one at a time. So that that's the that's the um tell you what I can that's this the front view, the side view. It's good, isn't it? So, um, <coughs> excuse me. So, my, uh, disclaimer, disclaimer, let's get the disclaimer in. I gotta say that, uh, here we go. This is my opinion, and it's no substitute. So, this person. Uh, contacted me on Facebook and said, what do you think, flirtily or normal or, or full? I'm like, you know what, I'd probably go with a full tummy tuck. Uh, it, first of all, it's no substitute for an in-person consultation. You can't be where you can feel the tissues, see things. I think a full tummy tuck, in my view, uh, would give a nice result here. She's then come back and said, oh, well, my surgeon said a flirtily. I think you will get people who say a flirtily, and a flirtily does obviously a flirtily is like an inverted T. So a normal tummy tuck removes the skin and the fat in an up and down direction. A flirtily does it in a side to side direction as well. So a flirtily will narrow the um, the waist. It will improve the waist. So a flirtily is good for that reason. But uh, for me, I personally don't like that scar that goes up the middle. But it's not my body, and so it's something we'd have to discuss with you in the clinic. You could have a fleur de and it would make the waist uh, contour and define the waist better, but at the cost of a scar that goes straight up, up the middle. Uh, the normal tummy tuck scar is usually you can hide it in your underwear in a bikini and things like that. A fleur de you can't. So there's pros and cons of both, and if your surgeon has said a fleur de doesn't mean that they're wrong. And it doesn't mean that I'm wrong or right by saying a full tummy tuck. You just have to look what's possible um, and whether you're going to be comfortable with whatever the surgeon's suggesting. So my view is I would go with a full tummy tuck on that rather than a fleur de lis. But a fleur de lis would not be unreasonable if you say, look, I don't care about that scar up the middle. I don't care about having a scar on my abdomen. I'm more, more about the shape then, you know, yes, maybe a, a, full a, a fleur de lis would be the one to do. The other thing about the fleur de lis, it's got that T-junction, just like the mastopexy, so problems with wound healing and things like that. So it has got slightly more potential for complications, but it takes out more skin because it goes side to, to side. God, what's that? It's getting dark now. Oh, God, scary. Oh, dear. Um, so, yeah, great. Thank you for the photos. Fantastic. Um, and that is my view, but it's just my view and you really need a consultation and see the surgeon and see the results and try and balance the pros and cons. 
Why is it so popular to go abroad for cheaper surgery? Well, I think you've answered the question there. I think it's because it's cheaper. Uh, why is it so much more expensive in the UK? Yeah, we had this a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was talking about why. Yeah, good question. Uh, and I think it's multifactorial. I think the cost of living is often cheaper abroad. The surgical training is often different. Doesn't mean it's better or worse. It's different. People are trained to different levels in different countries. And it's hard to know what level someone's trained to. And it's hard enough in this country. But at least you can say, right, NHS consultant, FRCS Plast, you can look for those things. In other countries, it's even more difficult to know who's a fully trained plastic surgeon, who's a member of the associations. Obviously, here we've got the BARPS and the BAPRAS, which are the BAAPS and BAPRAS. They're the plastic surgery associations. What have they got? overseas i don't know they probably have got them but i you know you'd have to look into that to see whether they've got plastic surgery associations um the uh we have a thing in this country with in terms of the cqc where the care quality commission they inspect all the all uh, places that do surgery and make sure that the um uh, infection control and sterility and how their tissues are handled and how things are cleaned um I'm not saying they don't have those overseas. It's just I don't know what the, those levels are like. Um, and, you know, possibly you wouldn't know. So you need to look into those sorts of things. And you also need to look into things like the indemnity of the surgeon. In this country, we have to have five or 10 million pounds of indemnity. So if you do have a problem, if you do suffer harm, then we're all insured uh, to cover that. Whereas that may not be the case overseas. And that is expensive. It's a very expensive thing. The insurance policies that we have to take out are huge. Even if we've never had any problems and never had any um, claims or anything, it doesn't matter. Well, I guess it's cheapest, but still it's a lot. Um, and, you know, if you don't have to pay, make those costs of those indemnity costs and all the costs of getting the facility uh, in line with the CQC and all your sterility and, and handling of, of, uh, of, of um, surgical instruments and what have you, then that could be a cost saving there. Now, I'm not saying they, I, I don't know what they do in, in other countries. And it's really, the problem is if someone says, I want to go to wherever, it's just difficult to know how to advise and how to look for the surgical training and what to look for in, in the facilities. Um, and you've got to ask yourself, how, how can it be more expensive, uh, so much more expensive than the UK? And I think you'll find that there is a lot of, uh, we are quite strict uh, in our regulations. And so that means our facilities are very high standard and people um, will feel very comfortable uh, having surgery here. You know, if people are in other um, countries, they will often come here for their surgery for those reasons. Uh, but uh, I to totally understand it is cheaper. And so the, why is it so popular going abroad? I think that's it. I think that's why it's so popular. It is cheaper. The other thing you've got to be careful about is um, if you've obviously got a flight there to get off often, well, often, usually, always, pretty much, I guess, to go abroad. Uh, and that increases your risk of DVTs and things like that because you're in a, an aeroplane. Um, you've got to look at the aftercare, wound healing. If you have issues, if you have problems, I often get people who ask me for help and, and for, for things who've had surgery abroad. And really, it should be their surgeon who should be seeing them. You know, if you've got a problem, I'll say, look, come in and we'll have a look and check it's all okay. But if your surgeons are overseas, you not, might not be able to get to be checked out. And if you've got a little dog ear or a little bump or a scar's not quite right, you know, it might be a bit more difficult to get those things revised and fixed. And 
you'll find that it's surgeons in this country you know we ch we charge a lot for the surgery but we don't charge for the follow-up and the aftercare and i often get people coming saying oh can i have my surgery in you know wherever overseas and then come and see me for the aftercare it doesn't work like that you can't really just come and see one of us for the aftercare you really should see the surgeon who did the surgery for your aftercare it's not really how it works so just remember that if you do go overseas or wherever you're gonna you, you're gonna really want them to look after you for the whole time uh, and make sure that you're okay um you know after that for a for a for an ongoing on an ongoing basis but um but i think it's multifactorial why it's more expensive in the uk i don't know exactly i don't know why you know if you went to whichever country what their costs are but i can totally understand it and it is i think there is a big price differential natalie if you get surgery abroad what do you do when you are home to dress wounds etc will gp surgery do them or refuse as it was done privately great question natalie well i think one of the things is you've got to make sure that you I would talk to the people who, I mean, I don't know, I don't really know how it works when you go abroad. I, I would imagine, I, th I think, do they have someone here? Maybe they have someone in this country who is a sort of a liaison. It would be nice if they did have someone in this country who's a liaison. If you did have a problem with the wounds and things, you could get it seen to. Um, you shouldn't really go to your GP to have the dressings done. It's a bit like, mm, I think the GP probably would do them if they, ha if you had no other recourse and you needed them done. But Really, you know, if someone has a procedure, a plastic surgery procedure, I don't really personally want them going to the GP because the GP doesn't really know what to look out for in a breast reduction or a tummy tuck. Um, often when people see the GP, they think it's infected or it's not infected when it is or it isn't, you know, because they're not used to looking at these sorts of wounds. You really need to see your surgeon uh, or see the, the um, plastic surgery nurse to check that everything's going okay. It is difficult for a GP to be looking at these wounds because often quite complex surgery you know tummy tucks breast augmentations got implants in there and stuff like that so i think i don't know what would happen if you went to gp to be honest i think if you had no other recourse i guess they would treat you similarly if you had a real really bad problem and you went to a and e the a and e would treat you and get you through the emergency problem and a, the problem comes after that once they've got you over the really bad problems if you've got a bit of swelling or a bit of this or a bit of that you really need to have some form of contact with your surgeon or a representative i don't know hopefully they'd have some kind of um i don't know representative or something in the in this country um oh here we go olivia your practice nurse at gp should look after your wounds well yeah well they might um oh here we go emma god we're all in here gp nurse will do them but i did them at home as well and sent pics to my surgeon abroad okay there you go gp will do them apparently um yeah well i personally i want to do them myself or have my nurse do them but um yeah i guess if you had no other core you know recourse your gp might do them but they might feel a bit funny about it because it's not their thing but yeah getting into cosmetic surgery abroad here um right if you have grade one ptosis can uplift be avoided yep Oh, yep. So ptosis is basically droop. It's another word for droop. You get it with your eyelids, you get it with your breast, you get it with your face, your cheeks. It's droop. Um, and there's different grades. And grade one ptosis is not a bad ptosis. Um, so I'm assuming, yeah, I'm pretty sure we're talking about breast here. I think we're talking about breast. 
uh, here. So grade one ptosis is not too bad. And if you've got a bit of ptosis to your breast, a bit of droop to your breast, the best way to, affect, uh, to improve a droop to your breast is with a lift. The best way to fix the shape of your breast is a lift. That is the best way to do it. But a lift is a big deal. It's scarring or what have you. So a lot of people say, I don't want to lift. I don't want to lift. So if you don't want to lift, because basically the droop is because there's too much skin. And the best way to fix that is to take the skin out. Now, the other thing is you can use implants to take up the skin instead of doing a lift. It's not quite as good. It doesn't lift the nipple. If your nipple's sitting low and you just put implants in, the nipple's still be sitting low, but it will add volume and projection to your breast. Um, so if you are borderline, so a grade one ptosis would be a borderline, if your breasts aren't too droopy and you want to be bigger, that's the other big thing. You've got to want to be bigger. If you don't want to be bigger, if you just put a small implant in, it's not really going to do the job. So if you're happy with the size, really, you want to think about a lift if it's just a shape that's a problem. But if you don't like the size and you want to be bigger and you haven't got that much of a droop, then implant, you could consider implants to give pro projection to breast to try and fill that skin and to some degree to, to uh, address the ptosis. Now, it won't do it as well as a lift, but you don't get the scarring uh, and the complications associated with a lift. So that might be a um, compromise that you might be willing to have. But again, it needs a proper discussion with a with a surgeon to say what can be achieved if you don't have a lift. You know, pros and cons of a lift. Because if you say to anyone, do you want a lift? Anyone, they'll say, no, I don't want a lift. I don't want the scarring around my nipple, down, scarring, potential nipple sensation problems, potential nipple loss, all these risks of a lift. Forget it. Don't want it. No one wants a lift. But it is probably the best way to improve the shape of the breast. So if you don't want a lift because you don't want those complications, totally understandable. You could do it with implants potentially, but you'd have to accept an increase in volume and you'd have to accept that the nipples wouldn't be lifted. And so the shape might not be quite as good as if you'd had a lift, but it's usually fine in a bra, but out of a bra, the shape might not be quite right. And it's something you need to discuss with your surgeon. Here we go. Emma's in. My surgeon said he couldn't put my implants under muscle as there was an issue with muscle too thin. I think he said I found out last week I have upper cross syndrome, more on left side. Could that be the reason he couldn't do it? Oh, Emma, I've never heard of upper cross syndrome. And I've never heard of up muscles too thin. I don't know, Emma. I've never heard of that. I've never seen someone who you couldn't put the implants under the muscle. There are risks of putting the implants under the muscle. They can sit high, wide, animation deformities. So there are bad things that can happen when you put the implants under the muscle. So there might be that might be a reason for not putting them under the muscle. That's reasonable to put them on top of the muscle. But um, I've never personally never seen anyone who the muscles are too thin, and I've not actually heard of upper cross syndrome. Sorry, um, upper cross syndrome. Could there be something else? Anyway, um, don't know Emma about that one. Um, but if that's what your surgeon said, then yeah, well, hmm. that's, I guess, what it is. So, um, hmm. interesting. Whew. That's it. I hope that was, uh, that was good for me. I thought that was a good one, personally. Um, right, I'm going to go get out of here because it's all dark now. All on my own. Uh, I'm going to get out of here, and uh, same time next week, 7 o'clock, Facebook Live. If you've got any questions, post them. If you want to show me your photo, if you want me to show photos, then I will. Here we go. Emma's back. No, putting you down, Emma. It's a deformed muscle due to bad posture. 
I don't know, Emma. I mean, it's the pec major muscle that you're putting on. Um, people can have a problem with their pec major, um, things like Poland syndrome. There's something called Poland syndrome where people have an absent pec major, um, but that's not upper cross syndrome. But um, I don't know, Emma. I've not heard of that. Um, Gemma's saying it was fab. That's what we like to hear. Thanks, Gemma. I will enjoy my evening. I'm enjoying locking up. I tell you, flipping out. I feel like keeping the camera on while I lock up, just in case something happens that you guys can call the emergency services. Right, I'm leaving now. It's all dark out there. Anyway, I'm going to do a runner. Right, I'm going to do a runner. Emma, I, if that's what your surgeon said, Emma, I would go with what they've said. Um, I've not heard of it myself. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's, yeah. Um, Thank you, Gemma. Thank you all. Thank you uh, for all your, thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Dawn, for your kind words. I'm going to check out. Oh, <laughs> look at that. Oh, hold on a minute. Natalie, very informative. Thank you. It affects the chest, arms, and side, and leg muscles and nerves. Wow. Flipping heck. Upper cross syndrome. Oh, I feel bad. I haven't heard of it now, Emma. Anyway, um, sounds bad. But if that's the case, then it's probably just as well you didn't have it under the muscle because you don't want to have it affecting all those things. Um, so all in fair warn, I'm going to check out and run home and I will see you next Tuesday night. And thank you all for participating in a lively debate. And thank you, Mark, for being here earlier. He's gone now. Um, so... I'm going to end. See you next week, Tuesday, at seven o'clock. Post your questions, direct message me or whatever you want. See you then. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.